This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. That time right now, 8.20, you're tuned into WGNS, and our discussion this morning is going to be with Dr. Peter Dunaway with St. Thomas Rutherford, and he's going to be focusing on colorectal cancer. It is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Good morning, Dr. Dunaway. How are you? I'm doing great. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for being on this morning, and this is a very important subject. I know I guess, you know, cancer is just the word cancer itself is on the minds of so many. Either we know someone or we have battled through cancer ourselves. Tell us a little bit about first your background and how you got in to this line of work. Well, that's a great question. Um, it, it goes back quite a few years. Um, when I was in training back in the, after the late 90s into 2000, um, my uh, grandmother um, developed colon cancer. She was in her early 90s and she just had anemia and she didn't feel well, uh, but she was too stubborn to get a colonoscopy and subsequently she was diagnosed with uh, late stage colon cancer and um, passed away from it. And then um, unfortunately, uh, several years later, about uh, about three or four years later, um, my sister, uh, who is in her early 40s, uh, developed rectal cancer, um, and she just had some bleeding, thought it was from hemorrhoids, and then when she got a colonoscopy, uh, they they found the cancer, and um, I, at the time, I was uh, what I call, uh, felt hopeless as a gastroenterologist, but very uh, hopeful in the treatment. Um, I was right there um, uh, with her in the hospital, and uh, she was in Erlanger in, in Chattanooga, and uh, just saw her through it, and she, she's a cancer survivor, and um, since then, I've actually had several colonoscopies um, and uh, I have polyps so I kind of know what patients go through so that that's my passion if I can keep someone anyone from suffering or seeing or going through what my grandmother went through and what my sister experienced and then 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 I want to do it so that's really kind of the foundation of my passion for colon cancer prevention again with us this morning dr. Peter Dunaway now I know there are different suggestions on when you should first have that colonoscopy I know some suggestions are you know as young as 40 if colon cancer runs in your family but then I guess on average they suggest what age 50 Yes, age 50 is the is the standard for average risk, and we break we break down um, you know categories into average risk and increased risk. Well, are there you, you know you hear about cancer? I don't know running in the family. It seems like grandmother had it, your mother had it, your father had it. There are risk factors that would send up red flags, but is cancer hereditary? Yeah, absolutely. Well, for, at least for colon cancer. I mean, not not all cancers are hereditary. Many of them are. Um, uh, roughly around 20, 20% of uh, colon cancers have a hereditary component. So if someone has colon cancer, and let's say it was not hereditary, what are some of the causes behind it? Well, we don't know the exact causes. What we do look at is risk factors. What are, what are things that in, in, increases a person's risk um, for developing colon polyps, which can subsequently turn into colon cancer? And it's, it's, the, it's the things that aren't good for us, um, being obese, 
cigarette smoking, um, above average intake of alcohol, uh, eating uh, you know, basically uh, unhealthy food, um, basically fast food. If you live on those, those are the things that increase, and, and we call those modifiable risk factors, which are things you can change. You know, it's interesting. You just described the typical businessman between 1950 and 1980. <laughs> but there, there are and there, there has been a change of habits, I think, for a lot of people across the United States over the years, you know, especially dating back to 1950 when folks didn't realize how bad for us smoking was, for example. Exactly. I mean, uh, the, the, the big picture is that, you know, the... Well, about a third of people who are available to get screening don't get it, and that's really where uh, colon cancer awareness is really reaching out to those people. Uh, the, really, the target is between 50 and 65. That's actually the, the, the bigger group. Once people get above 65 and 70, they're usually pretty good about getting their screening done. For someone who's never actually had a screening uh, colonoscopy, is it painful, and, and what do you go through you know, the, the day leading up to the actual procedure? Well, I'm speaking from personal experience because um, I'm, I'm 50 and I've already had four of them already. So um, you have to change your diet, uh, actually go on a lower fiber diet a few days before, and then the day before you go on liquid. It's basically chicken broth and jello. Um, and then there's the bowel prep, which tends to be the most common reason people steer away from getting a colonoscopy. And there's different modalities. And actually, we really improved the methods of, of, of the, the prep that we give patients. Uh, we've gone from drinking a gallon of fluid uh, down to even drinking a few small bottles to, and, and drinking lots of water to kind of help flush the poop out of the colon. Because the colon's about a two-and-a-half to three-foot-long tube. That's pretty much what it is. And we've got to get the poop out of the way to be able to identify those polyps. So and basically the procedure itself, uh, the, the sedation is wonderful. Um, the really standard of care of sedation that we, we give is given under the direction of an anesthesia provider, and patients are not awake or aware. Um, it's basically a nice nap where they monitor your, your breathing, and uh, it's a very comfortable procedure. And then afterwards, patients, really the most common complaint patients give, give me is, I'm hungry, when, when can I eat? Um, we, we, uh, we, put, we put air in their colon, but we use carbon dioxide, so uh, a lot of that's absorbed. Um, and afterwards, patients have no problems with excessive gas or bloating at all. Again, we're talking with Dr. Peter Dunaway, who is with St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital here in Murfreesboro, talking about colon cancer and just some things you should be aware of and when you should have that first colonoscopy, all that good stuff. And, you know, for those listening, that colonoscopy, I, I actually had one, too, a couple of years back. It's not at all painful. No pain when you wake up. I mean, it really is a simple procedure. I think people are more scared in their mind than they should be. So, I mean, other things I want to factor in is that, you know, you, you know colonoscopy is what we call the gold standard. In other words, if other tests are abnormal, then it leads to a colonoscopy. But there are stool tests, which are very good screening tests. So if someone's apprehensive about getting a colonoscopy, there are very good uh, stool tests available that can either measure blood in the stool or actually measure the abnormal DNA that um, is what is, is present within a colon polyp. When you hear the word cancer, you sometimes hear people say, well, there's no telltale signs for this kind of cancer, or there are these symptoms for this type of cancer. So with colorectal cancer, what are some of the symptoms that people should kind of be on the lookout for? 
That's a great question. So they're, they're basically vague symptoms. Um, bleeding can occur, but usually it's very small amounts of bleeding. Um, basically, polyps slowly ooze or shed blood. And if it's on the other side of the colon, which is about you know, two and a half feet from the very end, they may not notice any blood at all. So uh, the weakness, lack of energy, um, could, could be one thing. But that's a very common symptom for a lot of disorders. And then subsequently, the, the bowel habit changes are one thing that can occur. People can sometimes notice that their stool is actually really narrow or skinny. Uh, they could uh, develop new onset constipation when they were previously pretty regular with their bowel movements. So those are some of the symptoms. Actually, abdominal pain, surprisingly, is not a common symptom for, for colon cancer. It's actually pretty rare for a person to have abdominal pain unless it's very, very advanced. Again, we're talking with Dr. Peter Dunaway, and we will open up the phone line so that you can text us questions that you may have this morning. Our phone number is 615-893-1450, and we actually already have a text message question here for you. It says, for years, in fact, ever since I was a child, I remember having problems with constipation, and those problems have only worsened over the years. Now I'm 40 years old. And I have gone almost an entire month without having a bowel movement. What should I do, and should this be a concern? Well, um, when someone has had constipation that long, there's many different causes for constipation. Either the colon can go too slow, um, sometimes there's medications that can contribute to it. Um, and when actually I see a patient who's had lifelong constipation, I'm, I'm, I'm less concerned about colon cancer. I'm very concerned about their symptoms and I want to help them um, as far as improve their bowel movements. But generally in that situation is would be a matter of seeing, seeing their primary and getting a referral and then we can talk about, you know, working up the cause because there's many different causes for constipation but generally when someone comes to me if they're if they're 40 and up or or their constipation's gotten a lot worse in the short uh, in the short time many times we'll recommend a colonoscopy it's part of the al um, what we call algorithm or pathway that we go through to rule out obstructive causes but there are many other reasons um, patients can develop constipation uh, otherwise you know that that just sounds very uncomfortable for the person who texted that I, I can't imagine having those types of issues and especially if they're lifelong but no doctor has been able to figure out or nail down exactly what's been going on well the good news is that there are a lot of great medications um, to, to help with constipation but um, but importantly, from my perspective, when I see a patient, I care about their symptoms, but more importantly, I care about a cause. So that's part of the workup that goes along with it. Um, there are sometimes patients uh, are apprehensive about using laxatives because they feel like they're going to get it. And that's one of the common um, concerns I get from patients is that they're concerned that they may get constipated. Uh, I'm sorry, but they, they may get a, 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 they may be habit forming, or they, they may not be able to get off of them. That's not a problem. The bottom line is that if their constipation is causing symptoms, then it's important to, to, for us to try to treat it. You know, that's got to be positive to hear for a patient, to hear the doctor talk about how they deeply want to figure out what's causing the problems or the issues that that person is facing medically. Because when you're in that situation, sometimes your mind just kind of goes haywire and all you do is worry about what it could be. And then a doctor you know, a, a good doctor kind of helps put people at ease. But that, I, I, I'm just saying that's got to be, I, I guess, it's got to feel good to the patient at times, right? Well, it's important. To, it's important to walk with walk with them and not, um, 
you know, see them for a one-time visit. Uh, I think it's especially for 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 um, for the patients I see. Um, I see patients with symptoms of constipation. It's actually from irritable bowel syndrome, where we find nothing wrong, but they're just colon goes slow. Um, and you have to really tailor the treatment more um, to what the patient is going through, but also reassure them, but more importantly, comprehensively work it up. So in a, in a situation like with, with this, um, um, with this um, uh, person has uh, texted in, absolutely would, would generally include a colonoscopy. Um, and more importantly, when we do those, I call the bowel prep as uncomfortable or as un, you know, undesirable as it may be. It's actually therapeutic in the sense that we're getting kind of kind of cleaning the mouth. It's what I call ground zero. Um, it's what I tell patients commonly. And we're going we're gonna to not only look for causes, but we're going to get your colon uh, uh, cleaned out and evacuated. So you're going to feel better. And then from that move point moving forward, we can really focus on helping you pre- prevent you from having that problem again. Now, we have another text here, and the listener is talking about these, uh, I guess, specialty clinics that cleanse your system, and they're asking, is that safe to do, and have you heard of these enema cleanses being done at some clinics? Um, We in GI do not use those. Um, They're not FDA-regulated, for one. Um, They can be harmful, uh, potentially, because you're basically injecting water, which can be at variable pressures and could potentially damage the colon. Um, we do recommend enemas in some patients, um, particularly if I have a patient who's getting a colonoscopy and um, they have a lot of problems it's called diverticulosis, which are these pockets that can form on the left side of the colon, and, um, and they're very common. I will use standard enemas, but uh, we don't um, uh, support or recommend using an enema cleansing system uh, or our, uh, what they call layman's term is colonic uh, because it's just not FDA regulated and it's, 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 it, there's a potential for harm. How important is it to hear those words, this is FDA regulated, as opposed to something that's not regulated? Well, it's just everything we do in medicine is evidence-based. Uh, we can't stand off any credibility unless it's, unless it's proven, for one, to be safe and effective and also help, helpful in preventing the disorder, but also preventing mortality, which is death related from particular colon cancer. We just got another text that says, why do the colon tests stop when you reach age 70, and does your risk for the disease drop dramatically at age 70? That's a really great question. Uh, the guidelines actually recommend screening up to the age of 75, and there's multiple societies that recommend that. It's, it's mainly because the, 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 the frequency of colon cancer decrease, you know, goes down substantially after the age, mainly after um, 80, 85. But what we, the, the, and all the GS societies and gastroenterologists support this, is that we individualize when to stop the, tr- the treatment. We generally don't screen past the age of 85. I mean, that's actually where that's a, that's kind of a standard cut uh, cutoff standpoint because it takes a long time for a colon polyp to form and to actually develop into colon cancer. And only a small percentage of, of colon polyps ever go that route. On average, it's it's a good 10 to 15 years. So that's generally where they're looking at stopping around the age of 75. But I personally individualize. If I see an 80-year-old patient who's very active and I look at their prior screening, if they've had lots of polyps on multiple colonoscopies and they're getting them every three years, I'm not going to just you know, st- stop at 75 or 80. Uh, I'm going to individualize that and, and, um, you know, and take it further. But if I see someone who's, who's 70 and they have multiple advanced medical problems, uh, they're on emphysema and they're on oxygen and they're 
they're on they're on hemodialysis and renal failure and so I look at the medical problems that a person has because we have to factor in the the potential risk of the procedure which are are very rare but there are some risks that, that are involved with colonoscopy now here's a question this person says they are listening online in Canada but making a move due to a job in Murfreesboro Tennessee next month and they've never had American health insurance. So they're asking, can I pay for a colonoscopy because it hits when I move there? I guess they're saying they're going to be age 50 when they actually move here next month. They want that first colonoscopy. But they're asking, can they pay for this without insurance? Interesting yeah. question. People can, I don't know the exact cost, but they definitely can um, self-pay for, for a colonoscopy. Um, there's multiple layers as far as um, as far as costs because um, there's you know anesthesia does provide the sedation. I don't recommend going with I, I don't recommend going without sedation. I have had patients do it and I have done them without sedation, um, but it is a bit crampy and uncomfortable um, as a whole. But yes, patients can can self pay for a colonoscopy. Again, this morning we're talking with Dr. Peter Dunaway with St. Thomas Rutherford. One of the topics we've been focusing on colon cancer, and here is another text. It says in reference to lifelong constipation. Would not a nutritious or nutritionist be helpful in altering a person's diet and lifestyle? Adequate exercise and water intake could be recommended along with diet changes to aid probiotics and fiber in the gut for starters. That was, I guess, the question. No, that's, there. A, that's a great point. Uh, the, the foundation for constipation prevention is a diet which is high in fiber, which is usually 25 grams of fiber um, on a daily amount, drinking adequate amounts of water, which is you know, basically variable six to eight glasses of water, and actually regular aerobic exercise. It can be as simple as 20 minutes of walking several times a week. Exercise does increase, increase the motility of, of the gut. Uh, what fiber does, it actually helps retain water uh, in the colon. Uh, many times when patients have constipation, if particularly if they have a lower fiber diet, their stool tends to be denser. And what I basically say, if you look in the commode and it sinks to the bottom, then you don't really have enough fiber in your diet. So basically, higher fiber uh, stool will actually float. So, um, but definitely, that's, that's a really good point. And that's really the foundation of not going straight to laxatives, but making sure that you have enough fiber in your diet, you're drinking enough water, and particularly that you have enough exercise involved. You know, it's interesting how different you can feel just by changing your diet and exercising two things that sound very simple on the surface but in reality they can be hard to do I guess at times because of all the fast food and all the rushing we have to do these days yeah, I mean, and, and again, I see some patients that have physical um, uh, disabilities that prevent them from doing regular aerobic exercise. Uh, they can still adjust their diet, and we can help them other ways. But, um, I mean, exercise is just one of the uh, many different ways. And actually, you mentioned, it's a good point, you mentioned exercise. It's actually one of the um, uh, risk, I would say risk factors. It's one of the things people can do to actually lower their potential for developing colon cancer. It's not, it's not, it's not huge, but it is, it is a, a, what we call a, a factor which can decrease the potentials of a person's potential of, of developing colon polyps. And then I guess you also have those cases where something is literally wrong and they even if they change their diet and exercise all the time, they're, they're still going to have that issue of constipation. And I guess that's when you have to dive a little deeper to figure out what else could be going on. 
Exactly. I mean, it's, it's always worth working up um, the causes. I mean, we break it down basically into either obstructive causes, which is not that common, um, or whether it's a matter that the colon is not moving the contents through. What I tell patients commonly is that the colon either wants to be, it wants to be full to be empty. It wants to be able to do its job, and it's got a sense that something's there. And lower fiber containing stool, just the colon doesn't sense it as much. It doesn't distend the colon as much, and it doesn't move it as effectively through. And again, you're tuned into WGNS this morning. We have Dr. Peter Dunaway on the air with us. I'm going to take a phone call real quick here. And good morning. Have you got a question for Dr. Dunaway? Hey, good morning. How are Dr. you? Dunaway. Yeah, what kind of question have you got for him this morning? Dr. Dunaway, I appreciate uh, your passion and your profession. Uh, it's uh, one that needs to be talked about uh, just as you were doing, and I uh, uh, congratulate you for doing it. Uh, your partner, uh, your uh, residency is at St. Thomas, and uh, St. Thomas partners with uh, uh, Premier Radiology. I had a problem with uh, Premier Radiology. They gave me barium and did not tell me that barium would cause a blockage. And uh, I had to go to the emergency room at St. Thomas uh, uh, earlier in this year, and I have tried to communicate with uh, Premier Radiology and explain to them that they need to uh, tell patients of the uh, bad parts about barium and what it can cause, and I get no uh, relief from them as far as uh, reaching out to me and reaching out to other patients that are going to take a barium test. And uh, I'm just uh, frustrated and with uh, Premier Radiology, and, uh, and uh, so their partner, St. Thomas, uh, should uh, step in and say, you know, we demand uh, uh, certain standards, and you're not meeting those standards. Uh, your comments, Dr. Dunaway. Well, sir, um, uh, thank you for um, you know bringing these points up. Um, um, with in regards to barium, um, you know, it had to be an individualized because actually, I I have not ordered a barium like an air barium enema in over 20 years. Um, barium can constipate patients. Uh, we do mainly, we do use it from above um, when I'm doing an upper GI series to look at someone's anatomy from either their upper GI tract, which is their stomach, esophagus, or, or upper part of their small intestine. Um, I mean, we can definitely reach out and, and voice your concerns, but I, I would like to say that we just it's just so uncommon for us to even use barium. And, and um, commonly, if we're going to be using any, any type of radiology study to look at your lower GI, it's going to be more of a CAT scan, um, which when the contrast that's used, and, and barium is a contrast, it means it shows up on the, on the X-ray um, uh, machine uh, or the CT, um, is commonly, it's, it's a lot less viscous than barium. Um, so I mean, I, you, I'm sure every organization has uh, basically uh, quality assurance and patient feedback options. And you may want to bring that to them in person, or even send in a letter with your concerns about what you've experienced, because I'm sure they want to make it better for you. I mean, at least we do, St. Thomas Rutherford. Again, Dr. Peter Dunaway on the air with us this morning, talking about colon cancer, constipation, and really everything that goes on down there. I guess. Whenever someone comes to you, how often do you hear the words, well, I Googled it, and this is what it came up with? Um, I mean, whenever patients um, uh, use the Internet to um, uh, 
look up things medically. I, I actually entertain. I want to. I want to. I want to look at it. Uh, I want to research it um, and take it from that aspect to see, you know, if if it's uh, from one a credible source. I hate to say, you know, credible. I mean, again, I look at the societies um, that that we follow, which is again, it kind of, it kind of turns back to evidence-based medicine as a whole. But I always entertain when patients do bring in information like that because I, I occasionally I learn things that I wasn't aware of, um, and I, I, I welcome to welcome it. I don't I don't want to turn a turn a patient away because they bring something from from Google, but I do want to kind of answer any questions and have a discussion or conversation on the topic. You know, I guess, and I've always heard this, we know our bodies the best and we can tell when something's slightly off or not right or if we're just not feeling well, we can tell something's going on there. And I guess that feeling, that gut feeling that something's happening is when we should first check in with our doctor. But how much... I don't know. How soon should we go to the doctor if we notice something that is slightly off? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, generally, if, if the if the problem or the symptom persists, um, you know, usually some several weeks. Uh, sometimes, I mean, our our different things we eat can sometimes uh, cause different problems with symptoms and side effects for a day or so, but it's persisting more than a week to 10 days or longer. Or, or if you notice blood in your stool, those are the more the, the objective things that I, I, I always emphasize patients because uh, we are seeing uh, uh, people develop colon cancer at a younger age. I mean, uh, we're anywhere from about 12 to 13 percent of our new cancer diagnoses in the next in the next year are going to be from patients who are under under the age of, of 50. Uh, I mean, colon cancer is one of the 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 um, it's the third most common cancer for men and women. Um, it's also the third leading cause for death. So we want to catch these early. So generally, if blood in the stool is a very important sign to get that checked out. We have some more questions that we'll get to in just a second here. Dr. Peter Dunaway, our guest with St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital here in Murfreesboro. We are going to take a short break, but we will be right back. And during this break, we'll check on that weather forecast and the traffic. So stay with us. Again, you're tuned in to WGNS, your good neighbor station since 1947. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the new menu items that we have added is our Salmon Imperial. Our Salmon Imperial is a fresh cut piece of salmon with shrimp and a crab meat blend. And then we've put our Alfredo sauce on top of it. It's great for a low carb diet that you can get with spinach, but also it just has an amazing flavor with a mixture of all those flavors between the shrimp Alfredo and then our salmon. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner seven days a week at Demas's. Come by our store, Music World and Drummer's Den. We're a full-line music instrument store with well over 5,000 square feet packed with great instruments in every category. In guitars, we're your local dealer for the two top acoustic guitar brands in the world, Martin and Taylor. We've got the best selection and prices anywhere in the state of Tennessee on these. This is Dave Kivanemi at Music World and Drummer's Den in Murfreesboro, 2762 South Church Street, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system. WGNS listeners get $50 off. 615-930-0088. A whole house air purifier. 615-930-0088. Family Staffing Solutions is proud of our local veterans. I'm Becky Bookner, and as life challenges appear... 
talk with Family Staffing Solutions about how we can help you stay at home. Call Family Staffing Solutions. Family Staffing Solutions. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. I was sent first to radio school. Then, when I finished that, I was sent to Yuma, Arizona, to gunnery school. Dr. Charles Edwin Howard, a World War II veteran. And here we started out with shotguns on the back of a pickup truck standing up, and we fired at discs thrown out, went around a big circle. We went from that to a place where we sat, and they showed pictures of airplanes coming out of the side and front and so forth, and we fired a light gun at these. Then they sent me to Savannah, Georgia, and there we met the crew that we would fly with. Dr. Howard was in the U.S. Air Force. November of 1943, we got on the Ile de France, the old iconic luxury ship. I was uh, 13 floors down from the top. It was very uh, sickening and very hot, bad, slept in a hammock. It took us quite a few days to get across. Oh, I was sick almost all the time. So was everybody else. But uh, we finally docked right out of Glasgow, Scotland. We got in a truck and drove to a place called Defum Green. That was a little village, and all around this village was the base, 452nd Bomb Group, and that was my assignment. This has been a salute to veterans on WGNS Radio. Have you experienced the nightmare of water, mold, or fire damage? Call Restoration One for a free estimate. Veteran and locally owned, fast and available 24-7. Restoration One offers preventative maintenance so that you never have to experience a loss like this again. Restoration One, the water damage experts. If you're not waking up to the wake-up crew, here's what you've been missing. You think we're way out there? Yes. (laughs) Don't miss The Wake Up Crew with John, Ryan, and Dalton. Weekday mornings from 6 until Swap and Shop. We'll see mostly sunny skies here this afternoon with a high in the low 70s. Southwest winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, mostly clear skies, a low near 48. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 36. Good morning. Traffic still flowing right now on 24, coming past 840 Elmaville Road. You got all this traffic flow headed towards Nashville down I-24. Watch your speed. Lots of radar out here this morning. Check out the Andre Chicken Sandwich now, available at Prince's Hot Chicken, 5814 Nolensville Pie. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Old friends, a new name, better together, as First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Again, our guest this morning, Dr. Peter Dunaway with St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital, talking about colon cancer and some of the things that go along with it. And as we start off this half of the program, I'm going to go ahead and take another phone call real quick here. Good morning. You're on the air with Dr. Dunaway. Good morning, and thank you for taking my question. Absolutely. Uh, the question is, when uh, your stomach is making a growling noise all the time, even when you're not hungry, 
Is that something to be alarmed of? Oh, good question. Uh, Dr. Dunaway, what do you think? Well, more, um, I mean, it, it really depends on other problems that go along with the, with the symptoms. Um, if your stomach's growling, that's definitely less of a concern for um, um, uh, for colon cancer, but there are other cancers and problems that can occur. Uh, there's a long list of much more common other disorders that can cause, um, I mean, when you say growling of the stomach, because, I mean, you can, it's really tough to kind of, to, you know, to go strictly at that. I have to kind of target when I see a patient and they present the ha- with us, what you describe, I have to ask a lot of other questions to, to kind of work it up further. Because really, when I hear my, when I feel my stomach is growling, I feel hungry. Uh, but there may be other things that go along with that, particularly if you're losing weight um, and then other labs that your primary doctor may notice if you're becoming anemic and it's a lower iron level from anemia, that could be indicative of, of blood loss. So you have to take a lot, you have to do a lot more investigating when you mention a symptom like a single symptom like that. So when somebody is, let's say, their stomach's growling all the time, but they're not hungry at all, in fact, they've lost some of their appetite, they just don't feel like eating, what should some of the, I guess, red flags be in that case? Well, particularly if they're losing weight and they're not trying to lose weight. Um, if they notice that they're really fatigued or have, uh, have um, 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 basically less stamina otherwise, if they notice that when they're eating, when they do eat, they get full very easily uh, when they haven't eaten that much, that could be um, a sign of problems. Um, so if they're having nausea, vomiting. Uh, so I have to, you know, have to take that symptom and expand on on a lot of other things that may be going on. But when, if, I, if, if I just saw like this caller had just one symptom, I may try to support it with other you know, lab work, basically to see if someone's blood counts are low, look they're anemic, which could be indicative of some blood loss. So I guess those uh, small red flags, if you would, where there's only one, uh, you know, issue that you're facing are definitely signs that you should just keep an eye on it and probably make an appointment with your general care practitioner and then just go from there. Uh, What are some of the other things that we should watch out for when it comes to warning signs of cancer in general? Well, well, specifically in my specialty as far as GI, um, um, mainly if, as I mentioned earlier, if if they have blood in the stool, New onset constipation, particularly in someone who's over 50, is, is, a, is a really red flag for me when they've had no trouble, but then they've noticed that they've started having a smaller caliber stool. Again, Dr. Dunaway with St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital right here in the borough, and uh, we'll just dive right into this next question. It says, I am 53 years old and wonder if there is a diet that I could switch to that would reduce my risk for colon cancer. That's a great question. I mean, generally, it, it comes down to a higher fiber diet, eating lots of fruits and vegetables. I mean, that's really the, the target. It's, it's the opposite of the diet that we, we, like, to, we like to eat, um, but, um, but um, um, should stay clear of. Surprisingly, another, another factor that is, is, an, is a risk factor for colon cancer is actually um, red meat. So if someone eats a lot of diet high in red meats, it's a slightly increased risk um, for development of colon cancer. You know, that's interesting because I've heard people say that before about red meat. And then I've also heard people say that it takes red meat a very long time to fully digest into the system and then work its way back out. So is, is that part of the issue, how long it takes to actually break it down? 
Well, that's that's a theory. It's it's not you know directly proven, and it's a it, that's a it's a good thought because the aspects of if you look at the the things that actually decrease the potential of, of um, colon cancer is is comes down to exercise and higher fiber diets that increases your colonic trans, transit. Um, but the red meats, we don't know exactly sure. But yes, if someone just eats a high high diet, high in meats, red meat particularly, then their transit may be slower if they don't have enough fiber in the diet. Now, are other meats the same way, or is really the only uh, meat we should not eat as much of, red meat? Are are there other meats? Processed meats. Uh, sam- like basically sandwich meats is another is another risk factor that's been that's associated with it. Um, it's, it's really the processed meats. So what about processed foods? Uh, maybe processed cheese or anything else that's processed? Because it seems like everything these days is microwavable. At least half the food out there is. Uh, I mean, that's not directly proven as far as the, it's again a theory, but not directly proven as far as all processed foods um, in that regard. Okay. Again, Dr. Dunaway on the air with us this morning, talking a little bit about colon cancer, the things to watch out for, the things not to do, or the things to do, such as exercising more and eating a, a better diet every single day. Three meals a day, that's something we've always been taught, three meals a day. Is that something that's good for the system if all of those meals are halfway decent? I mean, as far as the frequency of the meals, I mean, um, it's not directly proven as a whole. Um, as long as a person is, is has a well-balanced diet um, between, you know, basically fruits, vegetables, and, you know, uh, carbohydrates and fats and proteins in their diet, it, and, and they get enough calories in, it really doesn't matter so much how much they eat and what frequency they eat at. One thing I tend to steer patients away from is eating late in the evening, and it's not so much for colon cancer prevention. It's just it increases their potential for, for some acid reflux problems. But uh, in regards to colon cancer um, the prevention, um, the frequency is not so much, it's not, it's not an associated risk factor or a concern. You have some people who swear by their diet being vegetarian, it's the only way to go. Then you have others say, no way, I'm going to have a balanced diet with, with meat in it as well, including some seafood. What about that in the health field? What do doctors say about being a vegetarian? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle choice um, in that regard. Um, if, uh, clearly, a vegetarian is not going to be eating a diet high in processed meats or red, red meat. Uh, they're generally going to have more fiber in their diet, but again, it's a lifestyle choice. And of course, certain fishes have more health benefits than others, but a, a diet that includes the seafood, you know, maybe it's salmon, tuna, stuff like that. Is that good for your digestive system or does it really do anything for your digestive system? Well, um, basically the, the fishes, I mean, they have the omega-3s, and the, which is you know, the, the healthy uh, oils in, in our diet. Uh, or healthy fats in our diet. Uh, that's that's mainly why they're they're advocated. But again, not not a, a associated factor that's going to decrease your potential for developing colon cancer. Again, this morning we have been talking with Dr. Peter Dunaway, and we only have about 20 seconds left. But he practices with St. Thomas Rutherford, and the phone number for St. Thomas 615-396-6800. Is that where folks need to start, or? Uh, I guess first start with a primary care physician, but the best well, way to get a hold people, of you. People can self-refer for um, for colonoscopy, but I, I just want to 
close with saying that any any form of screening is is good screening. So um, I would, if they don't want to get a colonoscopy, definitely pursue the stool uh, testing options through their primary care provider. Um, but if they want to, people can self refer for colonoscopies um, in that regards. Sounds to, good. To come see us. Thank you for joining us this morning. Local news now.